It is a strange back to school season, isn't it? With those of us here who are students learning from our kitchen tables and bedroom desks or maybe sprawled out on our bed. Even those who are starting college or zooming into classes from their dorm rooms instead of gathered together learning hand by hand in a group. But however we do it, learning is learning. And one of the questions that comes to mind for most of us when we are in school is, will I need what I'm learning right now? Will I use it? Will I even remember this? Well, students, I'm not going to try to answer that question about your school subjects, although I will say that I don't think it's fair to algebra that people always use it as an example of things they have to learn in school but won't need in life. I have no particular interest in math and have a completely unmathematical job, but I actually frequently do use algebra and I'm glad I learned it. But anyway, what I did was ask older people, most of them in our congregation, to tell us some things that they learned when they were very young that they still live by today, that they're really glad that they learned and that they hold on to. Their ages range from 30-something to 90-something, and it's clear that certain lessons of childhood have shaped them all these years. One thing that also emerged as we were talking was that most people have had to spend a considerable amount of effort in adulthood unlearning unwanted lessons that they learned all too well. In fact, so many people mentioned that, that I think it will have to be the subject of another service sometimes. But it is a good thing to keep in mind. Not everything you're learning now is true, or at least useful for you. And you will keep reevaluating, and no doubt, with the help of friends or wise guides, you will decide that some of these are burdens to be left by the side of the road. So it's worth paying attention as you go to which lessons might be like that. I don't mean algebra, or I'm going to get in trouble with your math teacher. But today, as you embark on another year of learning, it's good to know that some of the things you're learning now will be with you for good. And for good, for good reasons to help you be the person you want to be. So some examples from our congregation and a couple of friends of mine. Ruth Wachab loves music and the arts in general. And she knows exactly how she learned that value. She says, my parents really valued the arts. We were a working poor family. We had enough food, but we never ate out in restaurants. What their extra money went to was music and dance lessons for her and her brother. She would take two buses and a subway each way to get to her lessons, but she went because they were that important and she loved them. The family had a harpsichord, smaller and less expensive than a piano, and another thing that her parents taught her through music was the value of hard work. Since money was tight and you get a lot more out of your lessons if you practice daily in between them, the rule was if you didn't practice, you lost your lessons. I laughed when Ruth told me that because a lot of kids don't want to practice or have their lessons, so they would consider that a win-win situation. But 
Ruth really wanted to keep up her lessons, so she studied. She practiced every day. Eventually, the family was able to afford an upright piano, and it lived in her childhood bedroom, taking up most of the space. Years later, after she and her ha husband Harry moved to California, he bought her a piano. Bob Schwar says that he learned early to clean his plate. Don't waste food. I've not yet been able to shake that habit, he says. And he says that he finds it a good one, but when he isn't the one filling his plate, when somebody else is serving him, he has to remember to stop when he's eaten enough. When the adults in our lives show confidence in us, it launches us on a life of experimentation and self-confidence. Cecil Bridges vividly remembers that his mother taught him at around three or four to do simple cooking and also taught him to read. He says, I learned at very early on that my parents expected me to be able to do anything. So I tried lots of things. Throughout my life, I was optimistic that I could do pretty much anything. What an amazing gift to take into one's adult life. And Cecil, I see that in you. I see that in the way you've met the challenges that have come to you. Another respondent learned something similar when their parents wouldn't pay the application fee to a college they didn't think she should apply to early decision. She paid, applied, was accepted, and graduated from that college four years later. Her parents' opposition faded from the moment she sent off her application, and they celebrated her admission and all the milestones that followed. And from this, she learned first to hold firmly to her own decisions, but not expect others to agree with her. And she also learned that even when her family sharply disagreed, they would come through on the big things. Those of us who know these folks in adulthood can see how lasting the lessons have been. You might have gone on a nature walk with Jack Owicki or seen his beautiful photographs of insects and spiders and birds and the plants of our area. He said, when I asked him this question, my father was an environmentalist before that became a common thing. He taught me to love nature and to delight in it to seek to understand nature and to preserve it. Those values are right at the core of my being. Brian Weller wanted a bicycle when he was young and he had to buy it himself, a Schwinn. From this, he says he learned the life lesson, if you want it, earn it with your own efforts. He attributes the importance of this lesson to his father, to his father's sternness and the way that he, Brian's father, had been shaped by the Great Depression. But even though he grew up in a different time himself, it's stuck. A young Unitarian Universalist minister learned two important lessons about caring for each other that have never left her. She writes, when I was very young, there was a church fire. My father went to help others clean up in the aftermath. I remember him having tears in his eyes, saying to me, we go help out, we go help each other. The neighboring non-UU church 
then allowed us to use their building. And my parents pointed out how important it is to help each other, offer care and be neighbors. From around the age of five, she remembers this. We almost went into a store in Philadelphia. I didn't even notice the people who were demonstrating outside. I said, aren't we going to go inside? And my parents said, Dara, do you see all these people walking in the front of the building? That's called a picket line. All the workers there want to be treated better and want things to be more fair. We can't go into that store. Don't ever cross a picket line. Listen to the workers. Merriam-Webster says, something I was taught by my dear mama was always be kind. I have lived by that ever since, though it was difficult for me as an often bullied child to put it into practice. Today, kindness is the one precept out of many I have learned over a lifetime that most informs my daily life. Kindness is the one thing to which I am always attracted and value over all else. Looks, money, property, or position matter little to me. What does matter is the kindness you show to others and how receptive to kindness you are. I know from seeing Miriam in action that that lesson also stuck. I don't know whether her mama said it or just showed it. Because there are cases like Dara's at the store that was behind the picket line where someone explicitly stated their values and said, do this or don't do that. But it seems from the stories that people shared that many of their most important lessons, the ones that have stayed with them, that have shaped them, were learned implicitly, without anybody saying exactly what the lesson was. The people around them, their parents or other people, conveyed certain values by affirming them when they absorb, uh, observe them in these then young children, and they lived them themselves. Jim Henson, who created the Muppets, observed, kids don't remember what you try to teach them. They remember what you are. Harry Wacob's parents never said, always be respectful in so many words, but they were respectful of people. And so they taught him by their example to be the same. Susan Awicki's parents never said that, in her words, shared humor and silliness are a wonderful way to express and enhance love, but they conveyed it by the way they raised their family. She says, at this point, I don't remember the content of the humor. I do remember there was one summer when we were on vacation and my older brother would say, she shot him because she loved him. And oh, Ramona, I think these were quotes, but I don't remember their source or what they applied to. I just know we all laughed happily when he said them. And our mother loved humorous poetry and would quote it often. She went on to marry somebody who held similar values, and so she says that's been, been a big part of her and Jack's family. As our daughter Eleanor said, Susan says, we amuse ourselves immensely. An example of that is the no silly sign in our hall. It has the word silly in a red circle with a red diagonal. 
Like Brian, who had to work for that first bicycle, Ruth Wachab learned the value of hard work, but in her case, it was one of those implicit lessons. She learned it from her, she learned it from her music lessons, of course, but also she absorbed it less by her parents telling it to her and more by observing them. When her dad was young, he wanted to become an engineer and he went to a college engineering program, but while he was there, his father died. So he quit college and became a printer to support his mother and sister. And that became his career. He spent his whole life as a printer. He never could go back to engineering school. It was a sad story, but it also conveyed an important lesson. You do the work that's required. This plus her music discipline has stood Ruth in good stead. For example, for many years, Ruth was a preschool teacher. Well, we know that that takes a lot of work and talent. Then she undertook a big change. She taught college. This also required a different kind of preparation for teaching, a kind of planning that she found daunting, even overwhelming, having to prepare the syllabus for a whole semester. But she said, I know how to work hard. She had learned from seeing her parents' lives and from her own experience that hard work is hard, but it's not something that's beyond her. She had done it before. And Ruth's husband, Harry, learned that lesson too. His family was also working poor. His parents were young when the United States joined World War II, and his mom quit eighth grade to become one of the Rosie the Riveters, one of the many women who worked factory jobs that had formerly been done only by men. His father was a coal miner until the war, and when he came back home, he pursued any trade that was available, railroad worker, small appliance repairman, builder, steel worker. So when Harry and his brother were in school and his dad, along with the other steel workers, went on strike, they had to turn their family's small plot of land into a little farm and work the land just to make ends meet. Now, my own middle-class upbringing makes me want to say, but you were in school. All your attention should be going to your classes. Harry's parents valued education, but they also taught him to work hard, do what needed to be done for the family, and do the best he could at whatever he did. And at the time, what he was working hard at was helping to support the family in a hard time. He took that lesson in some different directions than his parents had. He was the first to go to college, and he went on to get a PhD. It wasn't his parents' world, but they were proud of him. Sometimes the implicit lesson doesn't come from our parents or our family or anyone we know, but from the community as a whole, even from the whole country. My colleague, Lika Lewis Cornwell, and I were talking about what news story was the first one that we could remember. She said, the rescue of baby Jessica, that was in 1987, that isn't the first news story I remember, but it's the one most firmly planted in my brain. And the reason that it stayed firmly planted was because of its connection to the other values she was learning. The story was Jessica McClure was a toddler. She was just 18 months old when she fell down a well 
And it was so difficult to rescue her that it took two and a half days. The media gathered around uh, her home in Texas where this happened, and people all over the country were anxiously watching television, listening to the radio for updates, hoping and praying that she would emerge safely, which she did. Lika said, the thing I was taught and which I still live by and deeply value is that we are all connected even if we never meet. As a child, it was taught to me in the Christian parable of the Samaritan rescuer, the story of the good Samaritan who takes care of somebody he doesn't know. To this day, I remember sitting around the TV watching the desperate effort, effort to save a child we had and have never met, watching with as much hope and terror as if she were our own neighbor because as that parable taught and teaches still, she was. So I'd ask you, what is the implicit curriculum in your world right now? What are you learning from the people around you, especially those who are older or who are your family and guides? I'm asking, especially young people at this moment, what learning will you want to keep with you all your life? And to everyone, what are you teaching? Especially to those who are younger and who will carry these memories with them as the examples of how they should live and whom they should become. What is the lesson you are conveying every day? School is open. May all our teaching and learning be a blessing to the world.